Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Well, there may well be a time for all things. Uh, This is a sad time and uh, not entirely welcome to us because we're grieving one who was so dear to all of us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to a church that he started, he says to all of them, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. It might seem arrogant at first, Paul saying, be imitators of me, church, but it's while I imitate Christ. And what Paul establishes for us is the good precedent That there are times when we ought to look to certain believers as examples. There are always certain believers out there. Paul to his church and Jess Moyer to me who we want to imitate. I've told the family and I've told many of you. I told Jess that he's who I wanted to be when I turn his age, 87 as it is. This is a life well lived. This is who I wanted to look like and who I wanted to be like. If they say one word about me, I want it to have been faithfulness. Perhaps patience, kindness, or grace. And this is Jess Moyer. We, uh, we'd get a burger together. Uh, It worked out. I would have eaten anything with him, honestly. Uh, I'd eat anything with anybody, but he and I liked hamburgers, and so I got to introduce him to five guys, uh, and we got to overpay for hamburgers, but they were always delicious. He would always encourage me. He was steadfast, always. Jess Moyer was a member of this church for 64 years. He joined in 1956. He was ordained as a deacon in 62 just chaired the deacons for 11 years, over a decade. He was the chairperson. He was the treasurer of the church for 26 years. He was our music director for 17 years. What I'm saying is, is if this church ever had a need, he would do it. They didn't even have to ask. I've gone back and looked at all kinds of old church records that are around here, And everything from the 50s and 60s is all written in his handwriting and says Jess Moyer at the bottom of it. If I needed to know anything about the history of the church, he knew. (laughs) He was there, always faithfully there. This church, you know, he was on the building committee that built this sanctuary back in 1971. This church is almost 200 years old now. 
And in that time, it's only had three deacon emeritus, emeriti perhaps. Only three of them uh, that have gotten that title. Ansel Porter, Cecil Owens, and Jess Moyer most recently, who served the church for decade after decade, faithfully and continuously, loving the Lord, loving their family, and loving this family. I want to read to you something that Jess himself left for me to read to you in his book. His book gives him the prompt, I would like the following religious beliefs expressed at my funeral. And here's what Jess says for all of us. I accepted Christ as my Savior at the age of nine years old. I believe the Bible and its teaching is the inspired Word of God. I know that I'm saved and that He has guided my life through all the years. You know what significant accomplishments he listed? That he was able to serve his country proudly in the U.S. Air Force during the Korean War. That he married his high school sweetheart. And they were married 66 years. Wonderful years, he makes sure to point out. And had two children. And finally, that he served God and his church throughout his life in many seasons with gratitude. Of his fondest memories, Jess writes, it was growing up on the farm with his parents and siblings. He grew up in Edgefield County, uh, visiting my grandparents as a boy. And after growing up with school and dating and marriage and then becoming a dad, that job title, Dad, is what I consider to be the greatest profession that there is. And one of the greatest inspirations in his life, he just listed my family. I don't think I need to make this argument to you today, or if I do, I think you'll be easily persuaded. But what I'd like to suggest to everyone today is that this is the life well lived. This is the good life in front of us. Whether we ask it out loud of ourselves or not, we're all looking for what is the good life? What is the life well lived? What's the happy life? The first sin in Scripture comes from answering this wrongly. Adam and Eve were created. Everything was created perfectly. God, as He created everything, called it good. He created and He said it is good. And He created and He said it is good. And He created man and He said it's not good for him to be alone. So He created the perfect partner for him and He said it's good. And He gave them job to do. To have dominion and subdue the earth. To be fruitful and multiply all of it. And to keep His commands. That is, to stay away from this one tree that would cause them death. However, they were tempted, Adam and Eve, by a different idea of what the good life is. The serpent comes into the garden and says, obeying God is not the good life. The good life is seeing that this looks good and taking whatever it is that looks good to you for yourself. The serpent says to them, essentially, the good life is... Whatever you like, whatever your stomach desires, whatever your body wants, give it to it. Take it for yourself. And that's the end of it. That's the good life. It was a lie from the beginning. 
and this lie that we've all bought at different times of what the good life was, what the life well lived was that was somehow apart from the commands of God, knowing God or following after Him. We've all in our own ways taken and eaten and followed a different life. But I'm here to say, knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a restoration to how God created us in the beginning, following after Him, walking with God as you now can, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, that's the good life. Faithfully enduring Trusting God no matter the difficulties that come your way. No matter what happens or how hard it gets. Even on your lowest day, still believing and still having faith. This is the good life. I'm telling you, this was the good life. This is the life worth imitating. The writer of Hebrews writes about this life, writes about those who endured their entire lives, believing God and holding on to a promise that they had, that God was going to deliver them and that God was going to save them. The writers of Hebrews says this in chapter 11, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, was motivated by godly fear and he built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, He stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs to the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful to keep the promise. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one man as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of the sand on the seashore. These people all died in faith, although they had not yet received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance and they greeted them. And they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on this earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, they trusted in a promise from God that Christ was going to set all things right, and they trusted this promise that they didn't even see fulfilled in their lives. But by faith, they believed and lived their lives as sojourners looking for a better home, a better country. And Scripture is very clear about people who live like this by faith. God is not ashamed to be called their God, and He has prepared for them a place. By faith, our friend Jess Moyer lived this same way. 
trusting every day that Jesus Christ was Lord and that if Jesus Christ made the promise that his death on the cross was good enough for all of our sins, then it was good enough for all of our sins. And that if Jesus Christ promised that even as he was ascending into heaven saying, I will return at just the right time, that just believed that his Savior Jesus Christ would return and set all things right. I believe this too. What is the good life? The good life for we who believe, for us Christians, sometimes looks like simply a life of waiting. But waiting on the Lord is never time wasted. That is a part of the good life. Because God always delivers on His promises. These last few years, I just had to wait alone since Carrie passed. But he knew the God whom he believed in. He trusted even when it was difficult, even when it was quiet and lonely. I tell you, this is the good life. You might recall one of my favorite Christmas passages from Scripture is a Simeon and Anna in the Gospel of Luke. This one's often passed over, but Simeon and Anna, a prophet, a priest, and a prophetess, who are very old in age. They're in their 80s at least, if you try to do the math on their age. And all they do is worship God continuously in the temple. He as a priest, her as a prophetess. They're not married, but as individuals, they continue to wait on the Lord their entire life. And Simeon gets this word from God that he is not going to die until he sees the Lord's anointed coming into the temple. And one day, Joseph and Mary bring the Christ child into the temple to be circumcised in keeping with the law. And Simeon's full of the Holy Spirit, and he sees that the salvation of God came, a Messiah and a Savior. God himself took on flesh to walk amongst us. And Simeon finally sees the promise of God fulfilled in front of him, and he says, that's it. You can send me away in peace because my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. That's the life well lived. It's trusting and following God all of our lives. If this is the good life, the life in Christ, the life of faith, the life of obedience to the commands of God, faithfulness, of kindness, of patience, of charity, of graciousness, then what does the good life look like if you're successful at it? What does success look like for we who are Christians? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 that the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says to his disciples, it will be difficult, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. For us, success doesn't always look like prosperity or riches or fame or first place and honors. For the Christian, success sometimes just looks like enduring, holding on to our faith till the very end, no matter how difficult it is. 
Because for Christians, the victory was already won before we were born in Jesus Christ, who overcame death for all who believe, who paid the price for all that we've done wrong, and we have all done wrong. Success for us Christians looks like trusting God, come what may. And what is our faith? What is the faith that we Christians hold to? It's this. We were dead in our trespasses and sin in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit at work, and the sons of disobedience. We all too previously lived among them, gratifying our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and our thoughts. We were, by our very nature, children of wrath just like the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love He loved us with, made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You see, the starting point for receiving this faith that we have is recognizing that we're not all right. Nobody ever really comes to trust Christ until they say, you know what, I'm not okay. If your thought for yourself is, I do all right, I'm generally a pretty good person, then you never come to understand your need for salvation if there's nothing you need to be saved from. If your idea for yourself is, you know what, I'm, I'm all right, I'm doing okay, well, then I've got a prayer for you today, and I will pray it for you. And the prayer is that Christ will open your eyes to the truth of your own condition because we all were like this at one point or another, not really in charge of ourselves like we thought, but rather ruled by whatever desire came about inside of our hearts. We had no self-control, no individualism. We were ruled by our sin. The very nature of our life is children of wrath. Here's where it gets good, though. Two words that all of our faith hinges on. We're nothing good but God. We're children of wrath. We're enslaved by sin. We're no better than Adam and Eve in the garden. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through the kindness of, uh, to us in Christ Jesus. He made us alive and He has raised us up and He receives us to be with Himself so that in the coming ages He can show us how much he has been merciful to us in Christ Jesus. How, how much, how gracious is our God? It will take the ages to come for us to begin to understand how gracious this God is to us. That's how gracious. This is a day of grieving and we grieve rightly. But we grieve knowing that the person who was most grieved about this event was God himself. After all, it stands to reason 
that the person who's most grieved today is the person who has loved the most. And no one has loved this man as much as Jesus Christ as Lord. But Christ was able to do something about it. Though grieved, Christ did what it would take to bring about redemption, forgiveness, and even resurrection from the dead. This is the faith that we Christians have, that though we've been wrong, God's just merciful and good. All of it's on purpose. And the purpose is good. God has good plans for us, each of us. Some say, why does the world keep going on like this? The answer from Scripture, Peter writes in 2 Peter is, the world's not just going on and on over and over again like it always has, but rather, God is patient towards you, not wanting anyone to be lost. It's not that God is slow about keeping His promises. It's that God cares about you dearly and has been patient towards you for another day. Christ will return and set all things right, including this wrong. But until that day, He has been patient for another day towards you so that you could trust Him and know what life in Jesus Christ is like. Finally, I need to share with you, as this passage commands, a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to a church that he started. And he started that church. People trusted in God. And then they, they went on to be with the Lord. People died. And the congregation wrote to Paul and said, What are we supposed to do? What about these people who have gone on to the Lord before Christ comes? And so Paul writes them an answer for every person who has gone on to be with the Lord before Christ returns. And what Paul says is this, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be together with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's the command, encourage one another with these words. And here I am to tell you, Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed so that you grieve like the rest of people who grieve without hope. There are people out there who have to grieve without hope that this is the end, that was the last day. We who believe, we grieve, but we grieve because we're now separated from one that we love. But we grieve with hope. And the hope is outrageous and outlandish. It's not a, a nicety. It's not a simple hope. 
The hope is not something little like, oh, well, they went on to be with their Lord. Yes, in Christ, we know those who have gone on before us are with God now. But our hope eternally is greater than that by far. We're talking about the resurrection of the dead. But only if, as this passage says, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. All of our faith is hinging on this. Did he or didn't he? If Christ rose from the grave, then that means every person who's ever been alive died, and that was the end of it for them. Except one guy who rose from the grave and said, I hold the keys to death, and I hold them for anyone who would put their trust in me. That's the promise that we cling to. An eternal resurrection with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, then in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Our hope's not little. Our hope is great and vast. Our hope makes other people squeamish. But we believe that someday, even as we put these saints into the ground, Christ will return and the dead in Christ will rise. Because we believe Jesus didn't stay dead but rose from the grave. This is a real hope. This is a good hope. This is a hope you can put your whole life behind. Though we're sinners, Christ has said, If anyone comes to me, I will receive him. Christ has said, If you are faithful to confess your sins, I will be faithful to forgive them. The good life in Christ begins with this, Jesus, no longer will I be the Lord in my life, but Jesus, you will be my Lord and boss. I will follow and obey all the days of my life. Come today, believe the promises. Join us in this faith that we have. Christ has been patient and waited on you, but he will not wait forever. Someday he will return And on that day, there will be great rejoicing for us. So let there be great rejoicing for you on that day as well. Jess Moyer now has an eternal perspective that we don't share. We see day to day. We see what's happening next and what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. But he has an eternal perspective. I'm telling you what Jess would say to you today from his perspective is that the most important thing you can do today is put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Come, you have nothing to lose. Offer over your whole life to him. Because Christ comes. He has come in grace and mercy and he will come to your life today too in grace and mercy. What should we do today? Today, let's grieve. It's right to do. Let us grieve and let us mourn and let us cry. But we don't grieve alone. We grieve in the Holy Spirit and we grieve with hope that God will set right all that is wrong. Second, let us put our trust in Christ. Don't delay. And then let us cry out together. Jesus, come soon and set right all that's wrong in the world. Finally, what should we do today? 
Let's hope. Let us hope in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father God, I thank you that it is your will that we should come to know you. Let nothing stop it. Jesus Christ, I thank you that you have died for our sins and done all the work necessary for us to be made right and brought out right into relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you give us the strength, that you open our eyes to see. Dear God, I pray that you would be with this family, that you would be with us all, I pray that you would bring peace and joy and comfort in our lifetime. I pray that you would bring sweet time together with this family today. More than anything, I pray, Jesus, come soon. Until then, we will be patiently waiting in faith. Patiently trusting that you keep every promise you make. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.